Well, good morning. It's good to be in your home once again on this fine Sunday morning. And can you believe it? Level four lockdown once again. And uh, I know it's disruptive and it's frustrating and sometimes overwhelming, but you know what? We're going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. His grace is sufficient for every moment, and we are going to get through this as we stand together. So welcome, and it's so good to be able to engage you in the Word. Don't forget, you can download the teaching notes from our website and listen to the podcast. And please remember to share this link with all your family and friends around the south coast, around the country, and even around the world, so that together we can keep growing during this time. Well, we're going to dig into the Word this morning. And uh, just remember, you can continue to follow us on social media and here on our YouTube channel. We'll continue to give you updates as we go along. But for right now, we'll be having church online, children's church, 8 a.m. every Sunday, adult service, 9 o'clock every Sunday. And then on a Thursday at half past six, we'll premiere our Bible study and communion service. And please remember to take that time to have communion and to pray with your family and your friends as we continue to trust God during this time. Well, we're in our series, and we're going to continue again today as we are studying the Word of God in the book of Revelation. And uh, today's subtitle, under brand new, is the seventh trumpet. My prayer is that we will be just like these two witnesses we've been learning about, that we too will be good witnesses, Men and women of great faith, those who call on God from a sincere heart. You know, now is the time for people, more than ever before, in every place, to believe and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 5 verse 24, in the Passion Translation, Jesus speaking, he says, I speak to you an eternal truth. If you embrace my message and believe in the one Who sent me, you will never face condemnation. In me, you have already passed from the realm of death into eternal life. And the book of Revelation is so rich with the confirmation and reality that eternal life is real. As we look and and begin to experience Jesus in a whole new dimension and on a whole new level. Now, Last week as we entered, we saw the two witnesses had been killed. They had finished their testimony. And so we're going to dig in right away here at verse 11 of Revelations chapter 11. And we see how God revives the two witnesses and calls them back to heaven. In verse 13 it says, Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. As they ascended into heaven, to heaven in a cloud, and the enemy saw them, in the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So again here, we have this incredible, amazing reminder that God always has the final word. And that's the God that we trust and put our faith in. So let's continue to trust him. Let's continue to receive his unconditional love. And remember as we do that, our lives will be renewed, rebuilt, and restored. 
That's what Jesus was saying in, in Romans 8, verse 31 to 37 through the apostle Paul. Let's read it together. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Wow, isn't that a beautiful verse? Verse 33 goes on and says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? You see, as believers, we are never out of it. We may get knocked down. We may have setbacks. We might face things we never expected. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, we are going to arise. He goes on in verse 36 of Romans 8, and he says, As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That word more than conquerors comes from two Greek words. The first one is hooper. It means over and above. And the second one is nikau, and it means to conquer. In other words, putting the two words together, this word describes someone who is super victorious. Someone who wins more than just an ordinary victory, it's over and above. In other words, like the Springboks winning the World Cup in 2019, no one gave us a chance. No one inspected us even to get to the semi-final. So it wasn't just an ordinary victory, it was an over and above victory. And that's the picture the Apostle Paul wanted you and I to see when we read this verse. Not in a conceited way, not because we think that we're so good, but because we are in Christ. That's where our confidence lies. And so we see that after this, they are raptured. And so they're not only resurrected, God not only raises them from the dead, but God calls them to heaven because their ministry is now concluded here on earth. Revelations 11 verse 12 says, And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Again, a beautiful picture that in Psalm 23, David put it this way. He said, verse 4, Though they are walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I believe this cloud that they ascended into heaven on is literally the Shekinah glory of God. God sends his glory down to usher back his faithful witnesses into heaven. In Revelations 11 verses 14 and 15 it goes on and it says, Now the second woe is past. Behold, the third is coming quickly. And then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And so we see the advent of the seventh trumpet being sounded. And remember we said this, that seven always signifies in the Bible completion 
and perfection. So this seventh trumpet of God's judgment announces God finishing his judgments. In other words, the completion of the seven judgments. But it's also the announcement of Christ's final reign. Now that's perfect. And so we're moving closer and closer to the completion of the great tribulation. But pause a minute. Did you notice what verse 14 says? Verse 14 says this. It says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third way is coming quickly. Wow, I nearly missed this. But isn't God's word so accurate and amazing? There is nothing insignificant in the Bible. But you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to unveil it, just like we're trusting him to reveal Jesus to us more and more in our hearts and lives as we're studying this book. Let's look there. It says in verse 13, and I looked and I heard, sorry, in Romans 8 verse 13, it says, and I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So he refers to here in in verse 13 of Romans 8, three woes, and I just read it as woe, 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 not with any clear description, but here we see he was clearly speaking about something significant. The word woe means grief, anguish, or affliction. These three woes of revelation are a further pronouncement of the judgment on evil or on the evil of the inhabitants of the earth. But not in order to punish them, but in order to spur them on to repentance, as we saw in Revelation chapter 9. The three woes are part of the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh trumpet. After the second woe passes here in Revelation 11.14, there's a clear division in the book because of this announcement from heaven here in 11, uh, chapter f- uh, 11, verse 15, the second part, it says, The kingdom of the world have become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. In other words, this begins the final stage of the judgment as heaven gets ready for the return of Christ to the earth. The third woe, in other words, is revealed... After the seventh trumpet sounds, and so it's a further confirmation of the trumpet that sounded in Joel chapter 2. And Joel chapter 2 was a declaration of the coming together and the consummation of God's plan for the entire world. The seventh trumpet incorporates the third and final woe, which is actually the seven bowls of God's wrath described in Revelation chapter 16. And we'll briefly go through that in a further session. The seventh seal brought forth a profound silence. Do you remember that in Revelation 8 verse 1? But the seventh trumpet initiates a great joy for the people of God at the inevitable resolution that's been proclaimed. In other words, there can't be a more glorious proclamation than this. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever 
and ever. We all know that we live in a world where there's a lot of uncertainties. And there are a lot of things we still don't understand about these end times. But here there's one thing we can take from these verses. That we can still have joy. You see, joy anticipates the certainty of God's word and the ultimate outcome, which is the result, which results in the declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, we are convinced by the word of God, the certainty of his coming reign on the earth. Why is joy so important? You know, you might have noticed over the last couple of weeks, we've just every week just been, it's like joy is just there in the front of us. You see, joy speaks of our faith that God knows everything. And so we can start and continue to celebrate in our lives regardless of what we're going through. It's actually a testimony to our faith. So don't just enjoy your, don't just endure your days enjoy them. Smile, it adds face value, and it uplifts your spirit. It may mean that you need to be determined to find something to smile about, but that's a good thing. Also remember, sometimes just pull back from all the busyness of our lives, from all the difficulties and the decisions we need to make, and just acknowledge Jesus in the moment. Take a, take a second to appreciate a loved one in your life and remind yourself that it's okay because God is on your side. That's the import of Proverbs 17, verse 25. In the Amplified, it says this, A happy heart is good medicine, and a cheerful mind works healing. You see, every morning when you wake up, take courage And say this out loud, today I'm going to enjoy my day. Decide to be happy right where you are and to enjoy the life that you have right now. Even if you're not where you want to be, even if right now you're faced with many challenges, decide to be joyful in the midst of them. That's exactly what James was talking about in James chapter 1. Make a firm decision to enjoy the journey and when you do, you'll be amazed that you'll begin to experience the abundant, joyful life that Jesus died to give each one of us. And in those moments, God will increase you. God will teach you things, and God will shape your character. Now we move on to Revelation chapter 11, verses 16 to 18. And again, we see the 24 elders that we become so well acquainted with as they worship God. And it says in verse 16, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and you should destroy those who have destroyed the earth. Notice it says that the elders come to worship and they start to give God thanks. But we need to notice something very significant here as well. 
This is not just a thanksgiving, which is the general thankfulness and gratitude that we have for our salvation, but it's something a lot more intentional and specific. It's rather a thankfulness because the hour has actually come for God to restore all things. He is busy making all things brand new. And the things that are now set in motion are permanently set in motion and cannot be reversed. We then see in verse 19, as we come to an end of of chapter 11, it says, the temple in heaven is opened. It says, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. And so we see in this moment the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of God's faithfulness, which bestows and releases His grace on His people, is now bringing justice on His people's enemies. It's also another picture that the presence of the Lord is evident and present, reminiscent as God manifested His presence on Mount Sinai. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 16 to 19. And now, as, the, as we see the, the temple in heaven is opened, we jump into chapter 12 and we'll start forth on a new phase. Let's read together from verses 1 down to verses 6. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. On his heads, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. And uh, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Again, we see the last part of the great tribulation being mentioned. But here in chapter 12 we find a chapter that is full of symbolism, full of signs that, that are symbolic during these times, and many of them aren't actually literal things that will be happening, but there's a symbolic message that comes through. Now notice it starts off, it says, then this great sign appeared. This is the first of seven signs that John will relate to, and it's described as a great sign. We'll see in Revelations chapter 12, 13, and 14 that now the main figures of the great tribulation are being described. And this great sign introduces the first of these. Now, we're going to just start on one section of this today because there's a lot for us to to digest here. Firstly, the woman spoken of here in verse 1 represents Israel. It is the nation of Israel who give birth to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and with him, God's plan of redemption. 
Now remember, the promises throughout the Old Testament were that Jesus would come through the lineage of David and through the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And so that's why the woman is represented here as the nation of Israel. The dragon spoken of here in very symbolic terms represents Satan, fallen from heaven as he takes a third of the angels with him and now lives eternity to contest God and to destroy his plan of redemption for mankind. In Genesis 3 verse 15, right at the beginning of of the book and the beginning of earth, the beginning of life, we see in verse 15 he speaks about this. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. In other words, we see that there is a real spiritual warfare, a real conflict that takes place on the earth around Jesus Christ and around the redemption of mankind. And so we need to realize the significance of this as born-again believers. And then the man-child spoken of here in these first verses refers to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the chosen Lamb destined to rule the world for all eternity. So in concluding today's teaching, let's first take a look at the dragon. And, and what we want to see here symbolically is it's painting a picture for you and I that we need to know our enemy. We need to know who our enemy is. You see, since his fall, Satan has waged war against God and his divine plan for my, mankind. You see right from the book of beginnings that he has set out to, to, to try and destroy the plan of salvation. Right at the beginning through Moses and all throughout the Old Testament, we see him attacking the children and the babies and trying to stop the birth of the Savior. And so in this chapter, as we're now moving forward towards the conclusion in Revelations chapter 19, 20, and 21, we start to see Satan being exposed for who he really is. It's so important that we learn to recognize and know how our enemy operates. Remember in Revelations 9 verses 11 and 12, It said, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has also the name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Notice, the Bible names him. Here in these verses, it called him two things. It called him Abaddon, and this word in the Greek speaks about a destroying angel. One of Satan's names is destruction. You see, wherever you see destruction, mayhem, confusion, you can be assured that the enemy, Satan, is behind that. His second name, Apollyon, means something similar. It means a destroyer, he who comes to ruin. And so we realize that we start to see through these names that God is exposing the character and the nature of our enemy. As a matter of fact, the name Satan actually means adversary. So there's no mistaking his character. And you see, a person's character exposes how they operate. It shares 
what kind of mandate and modus operandi they will use. Let's take a moment and let's have a look at a list of the aliases attributed to Satan in the Bible. Again, exposing his character and the way he operates so we have a better understanding of our enemy. Beelzebub, ruler of the demons, in Matthew chapter 13. He's referred to as the wicked one in Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. In John 8, verse 44, he's referred to as the enemy, a murderer, and a liar. Then he's referred to as the ruler of this world in John 12, verse 32. And so you see, some people say, well, I don't believe in Satan, and I don't believe he's real. But the Bible is painting a very different picture. Just like you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to recognize that there is the reality of Satan and that spiritual warfare is real. It goes on, and then it calls him the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4. And it actually says that he has blinded the minds of people because he appears as an angel of light. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 15, he's referred to as Belial. And then he's referred to as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. He's referred to as the tempter in 1 Thessalonians 3.5. Like a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, seeking whom he may devour. There's that word we looked at right at the beginning. In that same verse, he's referred to as our adversary. And then, as we move into Revelation, he's referred to in Revelation 12, 7, which we just looked at as the dragon. He's looked at in verse 10 as the accuser of the brethren. And then, the serpent of old, Revelation 20, verse 2. And then, in Revelation 20, verse 10, he's referred to as the deceiver. Please notice, in all those descriptions and names we've looked at, there is nothing good that comes from any of those. And so we see the nature of this world, the nature of the fallen human nature. We see the nature of people who are controlled by wickedness, why there's so much destruction and so much ruin going on in the world today. Do not be, do not be deceived today. He is a real enemy. He is a fearful and a worthy opponent, and we as mankind are no match for him. But here's the good news. Christ defeated him and has already overcome him. And so we do not need to fight this battle, but we do need to stand our ground in Christ. And that's the message coming through in the symbolism in Revelations chapter 12. Can I remind you of Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15? Let's read it together. And it says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way 
having nailed it to the cross. Wow, isn't that amazing news? Now look at verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, in our own ability, in our own mankind, we are no match for the enemy. We can only fear and be scared of him. But when you're in Christ and when you become a child of the living God, you can have victory and you can overcome because of who you are in Christ. Because of God's love today in your life, you have the grace of God. Remember, the grace of God is God's divine ability. In other words, you are always in the fight. You are never excluded. Rest in Him and you will begin to see the victory. And here's the beautiful thing. The thrill of your current victory sets you up with the confidence to fight your next battle. And so sometimes in life, can I encourage you, sometimes we look at our battles and and maybe we think they're so small and insignificant. Maybe you think, you know, fighting for your marriage, fighting for your children, fighting to build a life that that is successful and a life that makes a difference. You think, what is it worth? No, every little victory builds your confidence for the next battle. And so God sees it as so important that we recognize not only that we have an enemy, but that we recognize who we are in Christ and that we can stand confident in the victory and the redemption that he has purchased for you and I. So as we conclude today, let me share five things that you and I need to always remember when it comes to Satan. Here they are. Number one, Stand in your identity in Christ. Stand in your identity in Christ. In other words, in 1 Peter 5, it speaks about humbling yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You and I can only resist the devil when we're standing in who we are in Christ. Number two, put on his righteousness. Walk by grace every day. You see, his righteousness has qualified you to be acceptable to God 100%. And because of that righteousness, you have become the recipient, not just of God's love, which is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, but you have become the recipient of his favor. And so every day you can get up and you can declare with boldness that you are going to enjoy your life. Despite the challenges, despite the things we face, even now during this pandemic, the church can be a positive place of faith and impact because of who we are. Number three, the third thing to remember is preach the gospel of good news to yourself and to other people. Don't keep the good news of Jesus Christ to yourself. Share it with others. Be ready to pray for people. Be ready to share why you have this positivity and this joy in your life. It's because of Jesus who has strengthened you and empowered you. And then number four, remind yourself regularly of God's faithfulness. You see, it's not your works. It's his love. It's not your ability. It's his grace. It's not that you and I are perfect. It's because he is incredibly merciful. You know, in Psalm 103, it says that he surrounds us with his loving kindness 
and his tender mercies. So wherever you are today listening to this or watching this on DVD, remember Jesus loves you and you are never out of the fight. If you stand in him, you can have the victory. And then finally, number five, be bold and confess God's word over your life. God's word is powerful. In Isaiah, it says he watches over his word to perform it. So when you start to speak it in faith, inspired and prompted by the Holy Spirit, it carries weight and it carries power in the spiritual realm to overcome that spiritual warfare. You see, begin to declare who he is, but also declare who you are because of him. And my final thought today is this. Remember, you are a prayer warrior. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for our partners. I speak life and healing and victory over their lives today. Father, whatever we face this week, I ask that you would give us wisdom, spiritual understanding, and discernment to know your voice and to follow your promptings. I speak life and blessing over every single person who is listening to this today. And may your grace be sufficient in our lives for each day. Perhaps you're watching this today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I would love nothing more than to be able to lead you in the prayer of salvation. So if you're there today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, or perhaps you're in a place where today you just feel you want to rededicate your life, would you just pray this prayer out loud with me from Romans chapter 10, 8, 9, and 10, and just be sincere in your heart. God will do the rest. Father God, I thank you today that Jesus is your son that he died on the cross of Calvary so that I could be saved. And I want to thank you today that I believe in Jesus and I accept him into my life as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me today. Wow, if you prayed that prayer, we are so excited about that decision. And we'd love to walk a road with you. We'd love to send you a Bible. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you. So if you prayed that prayer today, would you send an email to us? Would you send us a WhatsApp? It's appearing on the screen right now, and we'd love to be in contact with you. And remember, once we're open, if you're ever on the south coast in Durban, come and visit us. We'd love to see you at our church. Well, before we go today, can I just remind you that we would be privileged to be in your home this Thursday at half past six as we premiere our Bible study and communion service. And today, if you'd like to sow into our ministry, You can send us a WhatsApp or you can go to our website and you can use our banking details to do an EFT or you can just use the snap scan that's appearing on your your screen right now. And don't forget, if you want to find out more about our church, simply go to rfcfc.com and you can find out everything about our mission and our vision. Remember, we love you, we're praying for you and we can't wait to see you really soon. God bless you.